Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. I'm Matt Potts. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is a special Q&A edition of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. So everybody, you're still going to get a regular episode in your feed later this week. We just wanted to do a bonus episode where we answer some of your questions. Because we're giving people. Are we giving people? Answer, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So Matt, do you want to pick the first question that we are going to answer and read it aloud? Our first question comes from Twitter and asks, do you believe in book one's idea that love, quote, leaves its own mark and, quote, gives us protection? So this is right. This is when Dumbledore is explaining to Harry why he was protected from Quirrell's touch. What do you think, Vanessa? Does it leave its own mark and give us protection? I absolutely believe yes to both things. My favorite line in the Bible is love is stronger than death. And I think that that's true. I think that love, even if we don't remember it, touches us and leaves its mark. I know I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I've had a best friend since I was five years old, and I'm very lucky. Her name is Kim, and she and I are obsessively loyal to one another. And I, in middle school, didn't have a lot of friends and didn't really care. And I was like, I have Kim. I saw some people making bad decisions to like try to become friends with 
popular people. And I feel like it protected me from that because I just never felt alone because I had the love of like one true friend. So yes, I absolutely believe this. Do you believe it, Matt? I kind of believe it. Mm. I'm hedging a little bit. I mean, I yeah. believe I believe it leaves its own mark and gives protection, but mm. I don't think it's invincible, right? Like, and no, I, no. I don't I don't think you're saying that either, right? But but in mm. this chapter, it seems like it kind of is, right? In this book, <laughs> sure. right? So like, of course, it leaves its mark, and people who are loved are marked by that love and shaped by that love, and in ways that can offer protection to them as well, right? Yeah. But I also think that. And again, this comes from maybe a cautiousness about my own tradition, which instead of defending or offering material help to people who are struggling or suffering, we just have a tradition, a habit of abstractly loving them, (laughs) right? Which is not enough. And there are other protections that are needed besides just love. But absolutely, especially in the the sense that you're talking about, it does shape us. It does form us in that way. It leaves its mark. And it forms us into the kind of people who can be resilient to certain forms of harm. It's interesting that you quote that line from the Bible. A favorite philosopher of mine, actually, I don't know if he's a favorite philosopher, but a favorite line of philosophy (laughs) that comes from a particular Jewish philosopher named Vladimir Jankelevich. He says, love is as strong as death, but no stronger. Kind of taking a a twist on on the biblical line. Not love is stronger than death, but love is as strong as death, but no stronger. Can you suss that out for me? What does that mean? Because to me, love is stronger than death, right? It's like you can feel the protection and love of people even after they've passed away. I think what he's trying to say is the fact of death remains. The fact of the loss remains. The loss is not recovered by the fact that you love. Love is a thing that stands up to it. It makes loss bearable, right? That's why it's as strong as death. But it's not going to undo death. It's not going to conquer death in, in any oversimple way. Like I think it, or triumph over it. I mean, the language I'm using also comes a lot from the Christian tradition, triumphing over death and conquering death. Yeah. I think that he wants to go more for like standing up to death. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. There's impasse. Death, death doesn't win, but death makes its claim is, and is not going to let go of that claim just because you feel love, which is where the sense of protection starts to get magical in Harry Potter, which is the point. It's supposed to be magical and make us have these kinds of reflections. But that's why, that's why I kind of agree with the statement instead of without qualification agree with it. Totally. I have to say that Just last night, I was watching the trailer for the new West Side Story that's coming out this December, the Steven Spielberg, Tony Kushner version, which I'm very excited about, even though some things about the trailer sort of stressed me out and I had artistic disagreements with. But there's a line that Tony Kushner added to the script, which is like not in any of the original versions of West Side Story. And I've seen many of them. So West Side Story is a musical retelling of Romeo and Juliet, and they added a character of Rita Moreno just to sort of have her in the movie, I think, because she played Anita in the original movie. And the line is, life matters even more than love, which I I love that they added that into a movie that's about love is sacrifice, right? Like, and love is equaling death. I feel like that was such an important line to add to the story. I think that's right. Yeah. And also the form of sacrifice in in Romeo and Juliet is so like inane and worthless, right? Which is part of the point, right. of course, right? But I also, I mean, that statement, I want to see the the way it's rendered in the framing of it because that statement, I think, carries its risks too because one could also see Voldemort saying that statement and meaning it, right? Sure. In a really different way, right? In a really different way than, yeah. than Rita Moreno's character does in this film. But right, like this idea that preserving one's own life 
is the primary or the most important thing, that can lead to some trouble things too. Not, I think, what's going on in this film or in the spirit behind your your comment, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah risky stuff. Yeah, and I just think it's so interesting how intertwined these things always are. Because often the form love takes is protecting the lives of others, or self love is protecting your own life when it's when it makes sense to do so, or when it's right to do so, whatever. Like all these things are, they overlap and deeply intertwine, and so they're they're inseparable. Which is why like very pithy and affecting statements like that can also be tricky because they sometimes obscure the overlap and the intertwine. Yep. Well, thank you, Twitter, for this great conversation. Matt, our next question is from Instagram, but we got several versions of this question, which is what is your favorite dessert? Hmm. And I think it I think you and I talk about dessert the right amount <laughs> that people know that this is something that we're going to want to talk about. There are different versions of this question. There's a there's a yeah. dessert question, there's also an ice cream question, and there's an Oreo question. I for one would like to ta- tackle all three, but if that makes this too dessert heavy uh an episode, I'm okay with us making a choice. No, I think that we need to tackle all three. Let's start broadest. Okay. What is your favorite dessert? Okay. Generally speaking, category dessert, my favorite dessert is pie. Mm -hmm. Hands down, pie. However, I am a pie snob. So most pie, like 95% of pie, is one of my least favorite desserts. Good Uh pie is a favorite dessert. If you want more specification... It's a blueberry pie, but a blueberry pie, which really picks up like the the piney citrusy notes in the blueberry. So this is this is this is my favorite dessert is is pie. Vanessa, what is your favorite dessert? Without a doubt, it's cake. And I am the opposite of you. I even like mediocre cake. It takes so much to ruin cake. Great cake is the greatest dessert. Like, for example, Flower Bakery has a cake that has a honeycomb layer, and then it has a whipped cream layer, and then it has a really cakey layer. And the different textures, the, the crack of the honeycomb, and the re- my mouth is watering. This episode brought richness- to you by Flower Bakery in Harvard Square. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so good. Again, this is this. It all boils down to language, right? And what do mm-hmm. we mean by best? Because I will grant that in general... I will always take cake before pie because the average cake is going to be way better than the average pie. And a bad cake is going to be better than most pie. Yeah. But the best pie, nothing beats the best pie. The best cake is better than the best pie is that's my That's not point. true. That's false. But that's but okay. I we can disagree. We can disagree. One of my one favorite of us can desserts be wrong. is my mother's lemon meringue pie to really complicate all of this. Pie, so. I'm telling you, it's pie. Pie is the... See, the thing is, I was trying to find a middle ground where we could agree. We just had different definitions of best, but then you insisted on continuing to be wrong. Best ice cream flavor. Or favorite. Favorite ice cream flavor. Favorite ice cream. Can it be like a one-time ice cream experience? It can be whatever you want. If we're just going to make cake the best, I guess we can just throw facts into the wind. So I had spent a long day at the beach, and I was like very hot and thirsty and Nothing sounded better to me than a scoop of ice cream. And we found one of those amazing New England ice cream shacks on the side of the road. And I got a Baby Ruth flavored ice cream cone. And it was coconutty and chocolatey and had almond crunch. And it again, my mouth is watering just thinking about it. It was the best ice cream experience of my life. Uh, better than gelato in Rome. And I love my gelato in Rome experiences. Yeah. 
Yeah. So what about you, Matt? Well, gelato is technically not ice cream, so we can. There you go. We can do a gelato question if you want. I mean, there's a there's a sub question we could ask about sort of the relationship of our ice creams to our favorite desserts, because I think most pies will benefit from ice cream, and I think most yes. cakes will also benefit from scuba ice cream. Ice cream, important important factor. <laughs> ice cream, decisions. its own dessert, but better. As a topping, as topping to, to your dessert. dessert. Right. So I have two answers to this question. Yeah. One is my daughter Camilla makes fun of me because she says I like old man flavors of ice cream. Mm-hmm. And she's not wrong. I'm Peter big... does too. Are you a vanilla person? <laughs> well, vanilla, I I resent the fact that vanilla is a synonym for plain. Vanilla <laughs> is the seed pod of an orchid in Southeast <laughs> Asia that has been fermented like meticulously and like that is yes. it's like the most rarefied thing and we use it as a synonym for so yes i do like the exceptionally rare and beautiful flavor of vanilla i like my rum raisin uh-huh. i like butter pecan uh-huh. uh-huh yeah i really really love if it's good again it's got to be good i really love maple walnut Ooh. if i can taste the extract the maple extract flavor and it tastes artificial yeah. then it's awful but if it tastes like maple and there's some nice toasted walnuts in it. That's an excellent flavor. Now, so but granting all this, there's also this flavor of ice cream, which is like local to the Midwest where I grew up, which I mm-hmm. think is hard to find elsewhere, which is called Blue Moon ice cream. Ooh. And Blue Moon is like Fruit Loop flavor. So imagine mm-hmm. if after you eat your Fruit Loops or your Fruity Pebbles, you mm-hmm. made ice cream out of the milk that's left mm-hmm. in the bowl. Mm-hmm. That's just a flavor from my childhood that is hard to let go of and not not at least call a favorite, if not my the favorite. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, I'm so glad that we gave you this Harry Potter Sacred Text platform so you could shout it out. Should we just have a dessert podcast? I feel like we're uh, I'm sensing some energy here. Yes, I know. <laughs> there is a there is it's like the conversation's crackling between us with, with, with really the desserts. Is. Okay, so the last question about desserts that we got are, what is your favorite kind of Oreo? And Matt, you have a very controversial opinion. I think it's very controversial. Very We're controversial. Get hate mail about this. I know. I think I may be. I may be run off the podcast after this. The correct yeah. answer to what is the best flavor Oreo is Hydrox. Nope. The wrong. Hydrox cookie, which invented the sandwich cookie. Uh-huh. Is no longer available, tragically, but invented the sandwich cookie that Nabisco ripped off from Hydrox with yes. their imitation sandwich, chocolate sandwich cookie. Hydrox is the standard in chocolate sandwich cookies. If you must have an Oreo, which you can, if you must have an Oreo, golden Oreo is my favorite Oreo. I like golden Oreo. Because it looks Oreos like Hydrox? No, because, well, it, I, I just. As we previously discussed, I really like vanilla. So <laughs> the golden Oreos, they, uh, they, I like them. Yeah, I also have a controversial maybe opinion. I like Trader Joe's. Are they called JoJo's? JoJo's, yeah. Yeah, I love the Trader Joe's JoJo's, and I love the seasonal peppermint ones. So you're also not choosing Oreo. It's oh true. But We're gonna lose the, all our listeners. The JoJo. Jojo peppermint, the Christmas flavor of Jojo's is amazing. Have you had it? I haven't. I do. It's I incredible. do not like peppermint flavored desserts. Oh, sad for you. It, because it, you don't. It feels like tastes eating, like toothpaste. It's like feels like t- eating toothpaste. Yeah, I. You're a cliche. Okay. <laughs> also, by the way, especially Millie, if you're listening, 
old men like peppermint flavored desserts. So <laughs> there's the there's the wrench in that Here's, theory. Okay, I just want to add one thing about vanilla. I agree with you that vanilla is amazing, but like, why not add brownie bites to it? Like, vanilla is an amazing flavor, but it's just a base flavor. Like, add something. It's not just a base flavor. It's this. It's a. It if you can't. Get, okay. Okay. Grant. I'll grant you most vanilla ice cream, which uses very mm-hmm. poor or imitation vanilla, is just a base flavor. It just tastes sweet. If you have really good vanilla and you actually get in, like vanilla is an incredibly complicated flavor and is very delicious. So you just have to guess. I would say, instead of saying, if I have vanilla ice cream, why not put brownie bites in it? What I think then is that you have substandard vanilla ice cream. Go get some good vanilla ice cream. Okay. this It, it is becoming clearer and clearer to me why you and Peter get along. <laughs> Thank you for that compliment. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Good. I adore both of you. So. Uh, so this question also comes from Twitter. Do you feel your responses to the text this time through are darker, partly due to the darker and less optimistic recent past? The Twitter questioner says that it feels that way to them. Yeah, I don't know, Vanessa. What do you think? Do you think that our reading is darker this time because of recent events? Or do you think that there's something else going on? Well, Casper's gone. And so you and I are very dark people. I think what happened with me and Casper is that politics changed and the books get darker, right, as, yep. as they go. So I think that happened over time. It's hard for me to tell because yeah. I feel like I've always brought the dark. Yeah, the, the Twitter questions concludes it certainly feels that way to me. Does that mean that it certainly feels like the podcast is darker or it certainly feels like the reason for the darkness of the podcast is the darkness of recent political events? I think this is a both-and response. I think that... I think that it always would have been darker with you and me doing it. Vanessa, we joke a lot about it. But I mean, when you took my religion and literature class uh, many years ago now, this was before recent political events. The, the Most of the content in that course was was pretty grim. I tend to gravitate towards towards grim stuff. And I think I, I do and now you do because we also know that the darkness of our times is not new. It's, I, it may have been obscured in in different ways. And so I think you and I have always been attracted to that. However, I think it also must be the case that it's been a really rough five years and especially rough like two years. And so we're coming to the text looking for something else, right? We're coming to the text looking for a way to make our way through some of these things. And so I think it can be both things. I think we always would have done this, but I also think we're probably doing it more or with more depth and attention than then we might have had the last five years or two years been different. Yeah. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app, and when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. So this next question is another one that we got several versions of, which is how and why did you decide to go to divinity school? And Matt, I don't know your story about this. I know you wanted to be a priest since you were little. Yeah, so I, it's always been part of my plan. That's not a thing I'm especially proud of because I think that for most of my life, that impulse to be a priest was not a fully realized or mature wish, right? And that was actually something I- Like when I, you were five, you yeah. weren't like, I want to be a priest for great reasons. Exactly. So I think I actually mm-hmm. had to process through some of that stuff in order to make a, a a grown-up decision to actually go to divinity school and pursue priesthood. Uh, so I think in some ways my story is like just- boring like i always wanted to go and always knew i would go i think there's a different story which was how did i figure out what it would mean to for me to go and that's caught up in lots of questions about my developing relationship to my own religion and to my own faith and to my own kind of growth as a human but it was always just kind of there practically speaking i decided because i owed a lot of money to the U.S. Navy. I think i've told the story before in different venues but i went to college on a navy scholarship i left the navy without fulfilling my service commitment to the Navy as a conscientious objector. And so the Navy sent me a bill for college. And so I wanted to go to seminary right away, but I couldn't because I had all this debt. And then uh, some really gracious and super supportive folks raised money. A pacifist activist organization Mm -hmm. raised money to help pay my educational debt, which is not something I deserved in any way because lots of people have educational debt that they just have to pay on their own. But they did this for me and and it didn't defray all the costs of my undergrad education, but it defrayed enough that I could make a choice to go to divinity school, and that's why I did. I didn't know that. That's beautiful. I'm really glad that that happened. Just because not everybody gets it doesn't mean you didn't deserve it. Thanks, Vanessa. Tell me about yours. I I always think of it as two different things. I graduated from a nonprofit management school in 2009, which was obviously the financial crisis. And I really struggled in my nonprofit management program. I think nonprofits do a lot of great things in the world. I think that a lot less burden should be placed on nonprofits. I think the government should do some of these things. I just had a real crisis of conscience. I was like, oh, nonprofits aren't actually designed to disrupt the systems that I hate. They are here to be part of the systems that I hate. 
some nonprofits obviously deeply disrupt those systems and offer essential services. But it's just I really I just really struggled <laughs> with the idea of what nonprofit institutions in the United States do. And so it, it really was a crisis of, of faith for me. And I the thing I kept turning to was theology and, uh, you know, the more radical forms of social justice movements tend to come out of like deeply spiritual and religious people. And that really interested me. And then the other thing about 2009 was that, you know, I, I, I struggled in business school. There seemed to be a conflation between capitalism as an ethic and as a tool. There was like a real belief that capitalism for its own sake was a good. And then, you know, graduating in 2009, I was like, oh, my God, I'm just like never going to be able to retire anyway. I might as well find a job that I really enjoy. And I really enjoy reading, writing and chatting. And that to me seemed like what chaplaincy was. <laughs> like I was like, if I'm never going to be able to retire until the day I die, I might as well do something I love. So that is why I went to divinity school. So Vanessa, this this question comes from Instagram, and I'm asking it because I actually want to know the answer for you. What is your Patronus? I have two answers, one given by me and one given by the nine-year-old. I think that I might be a sea turtle. Mm. I enjoy being in the water. I am very safe in the water, as we talked about recently, but I'm not fast. I would like to live to a very old age. I have a hard shell, but soft in the middle, you know? Mm. I, th- I think I'm very sea turtle but Amy, the nine-year-old, recently told me that I'm a panda bear, that huh. I like naps, and I'm a vegetarian, and I like to cuddle, and I'm ferocious if you attack something that I love. And I was like, who am I to fight with that description of me? So I think my Patronus would just, I like the idea that my Patronus would be a very slow, large creature. That feels wonderful to me. I'm a panda, right? I feel like that suits me really well. Uh, You could be a panda. I think you might be more of a sea turtle, frankly. Mm. Also vegetarians. Also, I mean, not, I mean, why is it, why can't you snuggle a sea turtle? A, A panda sea turtle. I don't know. I was just so complimented that she thought it's I was a nice compliment. A it was such a nice compliment. I think it made her feel uncomfortable how much it meant to me. My nickname in the Navy, you know, like call sign or whatever. We didn't have actual uh-huh. call signs because we were on ships, not in planes. But uh-huh. everybody called me Panda. It's, it's it, such a nice compliment. Because they said I was like a I was like a bear, but I was like a big friendly one. And also <laughs> I like to use most of my energy to eat. Yeah, me too. That's the other yeah. thing. Which is also very I was like, on the nose for Always munching on something yep. vegetarian. Yep. So relatable. Yeah. That's uh, interesting because my Patronus, or you want to ask? Yeah. yeah. What's your Patronus, Matt? I mean, this is so interesting because my Patronus is bear, comma, grizzly. Uh-huh. But a close uh. second is bear, comma, panda because oh I'm Asian and <laughs> I feel like I'm a... I like grizzlies, but they have a little bit too much anger, like a little bit too much ferociousness. Uh-huh. I feel like I'd be a little, I'd be like the calm grizzly that just, mm-hmm. just kind of wants to eat the salmon skin, get some mm-hmm. berries, rub my back against a tree. Yeah. I mean, anyway, you slice it though, we're sleeping for months. <laughs> yes. Anyway, you slice it, we get winter off. So yeah. some kind of bear, either grizzly or pen. I'd, I'd, I'd actually have to see it come out of the end of my wand to know which one it actually is, but it's some kind of bear. So, Matt, 
We got a version of this as well in a lot of different forms. This one came to us via email. And the question is, how do you prep for an episode? How do you decide which parts of the chapter make the cut? What is our behind the scenes process? Matthew, do you want to tell the people? Sure. I'm new to it because I've joined recently. So uh, maybe I can explain it. So AJ distributes a episode document to us, which includes sort of a, a section for each of the segments in the podcast. So we have the story that one of us will tell and we have sort of themes that both Vanessa and I want to address in the chapter related to the theme for the chapter. We also have, you know, a segment for the the spiritual practice and also for our voicemail and other segments. And then how I prep is I I read through the chapter once closely and a second time quickly. So mm-hmm. the first time I read through, I try to get down just sort of content in the chapter that I think is important, especially but not only as it relates to the theme, right? So I try to read things that are going on through the theme try to think about how what's going on might affect my thinking about the theme, and then just take some fairly thorough notes about those things in the space that AJ has left for me to to make those notes. And this is a document that we share so we can all see one another's notes before we actually come in for the episode. I usually try to do that, you know, several days before the episode. When it gets closer to the episode, actual recording, then I revisit the chapter, read it more quickly, just to kind of remind myself of what happened, see if my thinking has shifted at all, uh, if I've seen Vanessa's notes by then, I also like look at like how maybe her thinking is changing my thinking. But I also want to read it fresh just with my own eyes to see uh, first before I see before I see Vanessa's comments. And then we come in and I and I knock the 30 second recap out of the park. Yeah, you really do. <laughs> That's right. Is your process similar? Vanessa, you've been doing this a lot longer than me. It's super similar. I read the chapter a few days ahead of time with the theme in mind. I write the theme at the top of the chapter and like really try to keep it in mind. And then the morning before we record on my morning walk with Rory, I listen to the chapter to just like keep it fresh in my mind. So I also read it twice, once very intensely, once I have it read to me. And as for like what makes it into the episode or not, I feel like we do a little bit behind the scenes like, is this interesting enough to talk about? Oh, we have to make sure that we talk about this thing. Yeah. It tends to be our interest first and then some, oh, we we definitely have to talk about this huge thing yeah. that neither of us happened to mention. So there's some behind the scenes negotiating about that. Yeah, I, I also think we cannot, for our listeners, we cannot overstate the importance of AJ. <laughs> And in the past, Ariana, because a lot of what makes it in is just the stuff that came out best in our conversation. Like we will talk about a lot of the things that we took notes on. We will include a lot of things that we think are interesting, but maybe don't show up. We will. There are points we think we need to talk about, but it turns out after we talk about them, it's it's not as important a part of the conversation. Like if it sounds like the conversation is kind of moving along smoothly the whole time, that's because AJ has gone through our long meandering and sometimes kind of worthless conversation and called out all the points that actually do sound interesting and make it one, you know, 20 minute theme conversation that is is tight and precise and is is speaking to exactly what we want to speak to. So when you ask what makes it in, it's not it's not always a decision for us beforehand. We talk about almost everything we write notes about. And only some of that stuff is actually worth listening to a second time. And 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 AJ listens to it all several times in order to cull it down to what you will all hear one time. I'm always so anxious when I meet people who listen to the podcast because I'm unedited in real life. 
And so I am not nearly as eloquent as they are under the impression that I am or concise or uh, polite. And so AJ really makes us sound like the best possible version of ourselves. So don't meet your podcast hosts, y'all. We are unedited in real life. (laughs) So Vanessa, one last question. Yeah. We had several versions of of a question, which which I want to think about too, which is when will we or when should we expect to introduce other sacred reading practices, especially ones which are not from either Judaism or Christianity? So this has been a live question for us on the podcast since the very beginning. So this is year six of this conversation. And I would say our original decision was that We really love having guests on teaching us about other practices, but we never felt comfortable sort of from a cultural appropriation lens teaching practices that were outside of our own expertise. And so Casper, having grown up Christian and me having grown up Jewish, those were the practices we felt comfortable with. In the previous iteration of the show, we had more guests. So we had more opportunities to have, you know, a Muslim person come on and talk about a practice and a Hindu person come on and a Buddhist person. But with the new way that we have conceived of the podcast, we are having fewer guests on more frequently. So we're having Joe Lee and Jackson Bird and John Green and and the Casper Turkile on with a little bit more regularity, but fewer guests. And yeah, it's just a really live, intense question, I think, because we really want to include other religions. We know that so many of our listeners engage with other spiritual practices and other religions, and yet we really don't want to do any religion a disservice, but fear of disservice risks erasure, and yet we also can't help but be who we are. And so it's a live, intense question for us, and one that we, we talk about a lot and that I am hopeful we find a better solution than the one that we are currently living. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think every production meeting that I've been a part of since I joined the podcast, we've talked about this because I think it's important to everybody on the podcast. It's important to me just because I come from a multi-religious background. And so there's a part of me that really wants to introduce Buddhist reading practices to the podcast. But I don't, as you say, Vanessa, I don't feel like I actually have enough ownership of the Buddhist tradition to manipulate, alter a Buddhist reading practice, call it Buddhist and then put it on right. this podcast, right? I, that, I feel uncomfortable doing that, which makes me think we need to find folks to invite. But one of the reasons I think it's really important is because what it means for a thing to be sacred is really different in different traditions. And exactly. we, are, we are treating Harry Potter as sacred on this podcast, but because we're only using a, a limited set of reading practices, we only have a limited idea of what the sacred is on this podcast now. And I want to expand that and push that and learn from it. So it is a priority for us and we're figuring out how to do it responsibly. And if you have any suggestions, listeners, for how we can do it responsibly, or if there are local reading groups of folks who are not Christian who have developed or invented or adapted practices from the traditions you know better, let us know about that because maybe you're a guest on the podcast someday to help us introduce (laughs) a new reading practice. Yeah, I would really love that. Well, everybody, thank you so much for sending in these wonderful questions. We are so grateful. This was really fun, Matt. It was super fun. Yes. Hydrox forever. (laughs) Keep sending in questions because we will probably do another one of these episodes. 
sometime in the near future. And we're so grateful. We are a Not Sorry production, a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman, and we are edited and produced by AJ Yaramas. Our engineer is Erica Wong, and our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull. We are distributed by Acast. We'd like to thank Laura Glass, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Casper Terkyle, Stephanie Paulsell. Thanks, everyone, and we'll talk to you soon. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the borough. Download the Redfin app to get started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.